Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Quarter. Quarter is an all-in-one investor relations app that provides frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and more. With Quarter, investors can keep up to date with all their companies while on the move. I personally use it every earnings season so that I can keep up with my portfolio companies while I'm on my commute to the office. They also just released a cool new feature that allows users to search across all transcripts. That means you could search and see how many companies mention terms like inflation or cost pressure or recession or even metaverse, you name it. Uh, and the best part of all, the app's 100% free and it's on both iOS and Android. So go find it on your app store by searching quarter. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E. That's quarter, Q-U-A-R-T-R. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive interview where we interview an analyst on a single stock in typically 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, and today we're talking with Paul Cerro, who is the portfolio manager at Cedar Grove Capital. And we're talking about Petco and really the pet industry at large. His thesis is essentially long Petco, short Chewy. And he gets into the why that is. If you want to read his write-up or anything he's written on the matter, because he's written it up a few times, uh, you can go to his sub stack. We're going to link it in the description. But did you have any highlights from the interview? Yeah, the two highlights for me, we're talking about Chewy's margins or lack thereof and how their cost structure is going to make it difficult for them to really generate sustainable profits. Or if they do, it's going to be extremely low. And second, Petco's strategy of going omni-channel with the in-store plus online to give them an advantage over, you know, the pure plays like Chewy or, or even Amazon. All right. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. Today, we are joined by Paul Cerro, now two-time guest. Uh, first time we had you on, we talked exponential fitness. So if you want to hear more of Paul after this interview, go ahead and go check that one out. But Paul is a investor slash portfolio manager at Cedar Grove Capital. And today we are talking about the world of pets. So the pet industry at large, but more specifically Petco, as well as Chewy. Um, so why don't we kind of start there? Do you want to talk about the pet industry overall? Who are some of the major players and then how has the industry changed over the years? Yeah, of course. So when it comes to pets, uh, there's been a lot of, there's, there's a lot, there's a few chains that people really know about, right? Like we, we probably grew up with either the pet smarts of the world, the pet co's of the world, um, like, uh, pet supplies plus, which is a franchise, um, central garden pet co. There's, there's, a, there's a bunch of bigger names that operate in it, but at the same time, depending on where you are, especially in urban environments, it can be highly fragmented, meaning like there's a lot of independent owners that have a pet store who, whether it's just like food, et cetera, or they actually have training services, grooming services, uh, or maybe all three. Um, then there's the, the, the veterinary care, right. To care for your, for your animal. Um, it, it really, it, I mean, it's, over, it's an over hundred billion dollar industry and that's inclusive. That's a, that's of like everything in the United States. So um, there are 
well, there was an up and coming company, which people know about as Chewy, uh, that basically decided, hey, why don't we just be the pet retailer of the online world? And they, I want to say rewrote the book on uh, the pet industry for how they get to the consumer, but they, they, pretty, they pretty much started it on a, on a much bigger scale than the dot-com, create, uh, dot-com era, just because I guess timing benefited them more. Um, but those are the biggest players. I mean, I personally am a um, fan of Pet, Petco, just because that's just where, where I'm at, even though I grew up with PetSmart. Um, but it's really evolved from being just like your traditional, very boring retailer that just sells the food, the basic toys, uh, accessories, whatever, to now a full-fledged like business of treating uh, your pet, which many at this point in time consider um, their child. Like I consider my dog my child. A lot of people other consider their dogs their child and um, the spend on them has just only been going up. And I don't mean in the sense of because like, they're getting more sick or whatnot. It's like people are even spending more on their pet, more premium this, more premium that myself included. And these, these retailers have really been capitalizing on it and taking advantage. Yeah. there's been a multi-decade. This isn't just recently, right? It's maybe even been like a 50 year kind of secular tailwind if I'm not wrong. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's really funny because uh, Petco actually has been around for a really long time. Um, they were actually first founded like in the sixties under a different name, um, but they actually became Petco. Uh, and, and I think the early 1980s or the late 1970s, I I can't remember exactly which one, um, but they rebranded as Petco. And then from there, they started off as, you know, like a few dozen uh, stores. Then they kept growing by like acquisitions, kept growing, kept growing and growing. They've been uh, taken over twice in their lifetime. So they've had been, they had take privates um, um, before 2000 and after 2000. And they recently went public again in 2021 and um, uh, have, have really shown for themselves like just how big of a business the pet industry really is and can be. And that's why, like, I mean, without getting into details, I know we'll go further. That's kind of why I love it. Um, it's just, just their track record. All right. Yeah. Let's move into, oh, Ryan, you have a follow-up. Yeah. You, so you mentioned you're a pet owner. I believe I've seen uh, the the pup walking around in the background <laughs> yeah. last time. Uh, do you use Petco? Have you tried Chewy? What uh, What do you use? Yeah. I've actually tried all three. Because um, when, when I first got her, I see. I didn't. I haven't had a dog in uh, o- over a decade. Yeah, over a decade. And you know, I, I get bombarded by chewy ads, like on Instagram, etc. You know, I given given that I live in New York, live in New York City. You know, you see chewy boxes like in your lobby because people have dog owners, and you're just like, oh, chewy, done. You know, like that's 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 like their marketing's working, right? Right. So I actually started off with chewy. I got all my stuff from chewy. I got my food from chewy. My both wet and dry. I got my toys, my beds, my cages, my you know, like my medicine from Chewy. And then it was only after um, the apartment that I eventually moved into uh, was next to a Petco that I'm like, oh wait, if I need if I need something quick, I can just walk a few blocks, go to Petco and pick it up. And then from there, I really started to see live just how good Petco was in comparison to Chewy. And I'm like, why am I still with Chewy? And that's, that's when I eventually, I, I strictly moved my dog to Petco. I still do. And I, you know, looked at the company more when they were going public, you know, when they filed their S1 in 2020, they went public in Jan of 2021. And um, after the initial pullback, I was like, oh, I'm in. It was good. All right. That leads right into it then. 
people I think are, you know, they understand vaguely what PegFo's business model is, but any more important history, you know, things that investors should know about and just what are the basics of its business model? Yeah. So, um, I gotta stop saying that. I, I, re, I re-listened to my last podcast with you guys, and I always say this so yeah thing all the time. So, damn it, said it again. Sorry. No <laughs> um, it happens. So, when it comes to their history, they actually were a part of the internet craze of pet food. Back in 2001, they actually launched Petco.com. This was in comparison to all the other companies that wanted to, you know, take anything and everything online. Like Pets.com was, you know, the other one with the Super Bowl commercial. They like spent millions of dollars, but only generated like a few hundred thousand dollars in revenue. It was, a, it was hilarious. Um, so Petco was a part of that. They were online retailer, they tried to be at least. But with you know the 2001 unfortunate uh, 9/11 incident and then like the dot-com crash happening, they suffered pretty bad compared to everybody else, right? You know, because everybody else is cratered. Um, and I think that really left a bad taste in management's mouth that, you know what, maybe online is not the thing to do. So they actually, um, while they saw a, a presence, they, they really did not put pedals in the metal there. They're like, you know what, it can exist, but we're going to be focusing on our in-store footprints. We're going to be uh, um, making sure we can optimize our stores through the current offerings that they had, um, which uh, might not be garnered highly from you know, Wall Street, but hey, if you're producing a bunch of cash flow, but you're not getting the recognition for it, take it private. And that's exactly what happened. I think it was in 2002 or 2003, it was taken private by TPG. Um, and they just sat on it, right? They were just, you know, milking it for all the, you know, equity that they can get. And it was only recently in the last few years that, you know, alongside Chewy being the online retailer, that they kind of woke up and were like, you know what, we, we kind of need to really beef up our online presence if we're expecting to survive and compete. So over the last four or five years, they've really started to um, expand their online presence to compete. PetSmart's been doing the same thing. It's not an isolated incident. incident. And what's amazing, um, and I'll pause in a bit to to give you guys a chance here, but um, they've completely changed the way... um, a, a traditional specialty retailer has handled its real estate because before there was the whole notion of, you know, like in-store retail is dead. Everything's going to be online. If you own stores, you know, you're a loser, you're going to go under, you're going to be suffering the consequences. But what many people didn't realize is that these stores didn't need to be considered liabilities. They could actually be re- very valuable assets if used properly because what ended up happening, this is with everybody. When you're a retailer and you move to online, what most of them ended up doing in the beginning was they created these fulfillment centers to service the online business. There was the, the retail store front where like you, me, your mom, your family, whatever, would walk into and buy from. But then there were these separate warehouses, like how Amazon was doing it or is doing it, where that only fed the online business. That was what I thought was a liability because you're kind of having two businesses when you can really just have one. And what eventually ended up happening, which they have been doing and executing phenomenally on, is instead of opting in for just fulfillment centers, so there's for the online um, push, they're actually just using their stores to fulfill it. So it's like, why would you have to buy double inventory? Why would you have to buy double this, double that when your stores, you know, those quote unquote liabilities are now assets because they themselves are fulfillment centers. 
And not only do you get to save money on the cost of like, you know, the real estate, the operating leases, et cetera, but now you cut down almost across the board everywhere, right? You cut down on the labor, you cut down on the time to deliver, you cut down on the, um, the cost to deliver, right? Because if you're, if you're sending something from state to state, but now you're sending it from, you know, like town to town, much cheaper, you know, it's, that's where they really decided like, Hey, our stores are not liabilities or assets. And we're going to build a model around that, which they have. All right. Uh, do you want to go to the next one, Ryan? Well, it's, it sounds that. like, can, can you talk about some of the different omnichannel strategies that they have? Cause I know that they, uh, obviously they have like e-commerce and in-store, but they've been doing some interesting stuff uh, otherwise as well, right? Yeah, because if you're a pet owner, the the number, what are, not the number one thing, but one of the biggest things that you want to do is be able to get the best uh, items for your, for your pet. Uh, and hopefully you can get the best items for your pet in one place, right? You don't want to have to go to this store to get this, to that store to get that, blah, 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 blah. You don't want to do that, right? So what PetSmart and Petco have been doing, and this is something that Chewy can't do, like literally they, they, they just can't do it because they're not a re- they're not an in-store retailer, they're only an online store retailer, is if I can walk into a Petco or a PetSmart, I can get literally everything done for my pet in one go. I can get my food from there. I can get my toys from there. I can get my training from there. I can get my grooming from there. I can get my veterinary care from them. And depending on how else where you go, um, you can you know get rewards for doing so. They offer incentives for being able to um, go into the store rather than getting shipped, which is something that I highlighted in, in our research uh, twice already. Um, Petco has this phenomenal plan called buy online, pick up in store. And they run it very often. It's not a, it's not like a, a rare thing where I can literally go on to Petco, buy whatever I need for my pup. And I can actually save, I can get like 10 or 15% off if I just physically just go to the store and pick it up. That's it. And it's so simple, right? And it's instant savings because I don't mind going to the store. I only live a few blocks away. You know, if someone has a car and they're only a five minute drive to save 15%, you know, especially in an, an economy like this, Absolutely, like no problem. So they so they incentivize people to go into the store, which anybody who covers retail related stocks or companies, uh, when you can get someone in the store, more often than not, they actually end up spending more. And I can attest to this myself. They've convinced me to go into the store to save ten to fifteen percent. And while I'm there, oh, you know what? I forgot to buy something. I'll buy another tennis ball for you know my dog, or I'll buy like a little bone because I see. It's like attractively there, you know? So now my, now my average basket size has been going up and up and up because of how they got me in there. They save, I mean, they granted they're getting a 15% haircut on the MSRP, but the thing is they're saving on shipping. They're saving on the cost of the labor to then do fulfillment. They're saving on a bunch of stuff. And then to further compete with Chewy, because again, Chewy can't do that, right? It's online only. Um, they have been um, doing same day delivery. They partnered with DoorDash. So now even if I don't want to go pick it up, I can get it in a few hours because of DoorDash. Chewy can't do that. Chewy's, Chewy's time frame is anywhere from like one to two business days at best. But I can get it same day from PetSmart and get it same day from Petco. And when you keep like stacking up all these points um, between like being able to order online, picking up the store, or just straight up ordering it online, getting it delivered, whatever, they've been able to leverage so many different channels on how to attract any kind of pet owner with any kind of circumstances that they might have. And, um, it's, and it's been paying off. 
If you're listening to this ad right now, we know you're already a listener to our show. But for our avid listeners, we've also started a paid membership service called Chit Chat Money Plus that extends beyond just our podcast. Every Tuesday, subscribers get access to one not-so-deep-dive research episode that covers everything you need to know about a company. You also get an email newsletter with our written show notes, important charts, a transcript of each show, and access to our Chit Chat Money research files. Chit Chat Money Plus costs $5 a month. You can subscribe directly through Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you listen on another platform, click the link in the show notes to go through the simple steps of signing up. If you're a regular listener to the show, we think the membership will provide tons of additional value. On top of the stock research episodes, members will get one Arch Capital Fund episode a month where we outline why we bought, sold, or continue to hold a stock in the Arch Capital Investment Fund, along with shows on our broader investment strategy. Sign up and become a Chit Chat Money Plus subscriber today. We can't wait for you to join our community. You mentioned some of the services they have beyond traditional pet retail, you know, just selling food and toys. Which of these do you see driving the most growth going forward? And maybe on top of that, who are they competing with in these things like grooming and uh, what was it? Uh, maybe, I, I don't know if they're doing insurance, but all, the, all that other stuff. Veterinary. Veterinary. Yeah, yeah. they actually are. I mean, insurance. So insurance is a big business. Uh, you know, dogs, get, dogs and animals get sick all the time, right? Um, you can collect some pretty hefty premiums on that because you know you're you're paying for God forbid anything happens, right? More often than not, um, things really don't happen, but when they do, it's very costly. Um, I can speak to that. But with, if you're talking about like the biggest area of growth, m- most of the pet industry is staple related goods, right? So it's the food, it's the wet food, it's the dry food. Like yes, you can pay up for the quality of it. You know, you can get some premium fresh dog food from. You know, just food for dogs, or um, what's the what's the other company? Farmer's Dog, which is you know super super fresh food. Um, but if you talk about like growth, I was I was highlighting that I think the veterinary business is the biggest um, growth factor of the company. Uh, if you're already generating you know uh, billions of dollars in sales based off of your stapled goods. There's not going to be much growth in that unless there's going to be another COVID where the influx of dog adoptions happens. But like, how do you how do you really boost the level of, you know, uh, like earnings that you can generate from the business? And that's by offering super high margin, um, like pet insurance and uh, veterinary care. Because at the same time, everyone's got to get their dogs annually annual checkups, right? Their vaccines, um, their revaccine, like a bunch of things. Even if your dog is or your animal is not sick, you still got to go in to get it done, right? Like we, every, every, us, we have to get sometimes we have to get updates and checks for ourselves, which it's that's recurring revenue. It's it's really simple to do. And when you're talking about millions and millions of dogs in the country or, or animals or just whatever, I keep going to dogs, sorry, because I have one. Uh, it's it's a really attractive business. And I actually built out um, a visual like chart in our research to kind of show you what that build out looks like. And, you know, just to kind of like highlight, you know, the numbers here in the next, um, about like five, six years, the vet build outs that they're doing, you know, the vet animal hospitals will add over $1.3 billion to the top line and about $36 million in, in EBITDA. And that's just, and that's just, that's me being conservative. That's literally me being conservative because I wanted to be, because I wanted to be comfortable with it. It's pretty wild how much people are willing to spend on, on pets, because uh, they, you know, they're, they're your child. You don't want to see them get sick. If you want to see them get sick, you want you'll pay whatever you need to pay to get them better again and, and fast. Can, or go ahead. Uh, I, I was just gonna. You mentioned some of the numbers there. Can you 
provide any more financials just for like context for listeners who haven't looked at it before? What do they kind of generate in revenue? What do margins look like? Uh, sort of the, can you go through the unit economics? Yeah, there's, um, so I actually put on, I don't want to find because I want to misquote it. Um, I put a chart on my Twitter. I think it's my Twitter. Maybe it's my, the fund's Twitter, where it was comparing on, on the columns. It was comparing um, uh, Petco, PetSmart, and Shui because it, there's there's a big misconception on how three are really compared, are compared to. And they listed out all the offerings that they did. And they listed out um, between, because PetSmart's not public, uh, the financials between Petco and Shui, so that people could at a face value, even if they want to, even if they didn't want to take the time to dive into it, um, they could just visually take a look at it and uh, learn about the businesses super quickly. So if we look at like what the values of the companies um, like are, Shui by size is a much much bigger business. Um, it's I think it's generating over ten billion. Oh no, I think it's. Over ten billion dollars in sales. Um, sorry, let me pull it up right here. Right yeah, I'm looking here. at it right now. It's uh, oh, you have it nine nine point one over the last twelve months. Yeah, and here's the thing, though, because everybody gets hung up on that number. So yes, it is a massive business. Chewy is, um, but the problem is when you have that massive of a business, if you look at their adjusted EBITDA, you look at their free cash flow, it's not there. They are they are they are so focused on driving that top line. That they're actually not producing anything, um, which is where I have an issue with that. Because if, like, if you're going to be a company driving that that big of, um, I guess financials, but in a, an industry where you're supposed to be making money and you aren't making money, that's a pro- that's like that's a problem. Um, so when you look at it from like on a, a Petco's perspective, like when I made the chart, I mean they were. They're they're being valued at about seven billion dollars. They're they're uh, an enterprise value. They were generating almost six billion dollars in sales, but when you look at how much uh, earnings they're 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 actually making, like yes, they actually have positive EBITDA margins. They have positive free cash flow margins. They're actually generating something that is real. And I was giving them more credit for that, right? I'm like, how how are you going to like say that? Um, you know, a company that's doing, yes, yeah, so a company that's doing about two times more in sales is being valued almost two times more in value, despite them not being profitable. Like that just, that just didn't make sense to me. Um, so like Petco is a big company. And like, unfortunately, especially since I posted that, the company has been going down uh, just from like further multiple contraction, retailer collateral damage, et cetera. Um, but it is not a small company. So when you're talking about what the veterinary build out Ads. If we're talking about six billion dollars in revenue right now, within five years, a little over a billion dollars just from veterinary care, that's massive. That's literally a massive number. Right, and that the key is is that veterinary care has higher margins, right? Yeah, because you're 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 paying, if, especially if it's in house, right? If you control everything, you're just paying for the the vets, like the actual vets that are there. You pay for the supplies, which you're going to get a good deal from anyway, because you know you're a massive company. You can get you know, economies of scale, you know, you own the, the operations, et cetera. So, I mean, I was factoring in 12% margins, like 12% veterinary margins on each like little veterinary care clinic. Realistically, you're probably going to look at closer to 20%, not 12%. So that's why I'm being very conservative with my bottom line figures, because obviously there's going to be a ramp up time to reach those levels. Um, but 
those 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 margins are great. You're, you're talking about um, average unit volumes. I think I think I'm rejecting like over two million dollars in like four years or something like that, which is great per per clinic, which is great. Um, and the more you have, the better. And there's always going to be people having pets. Sometimes people get more than one pet, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it really just keeps compounding on its own, especially if you control it all. Okay. And now let's move into comparing more Chewy and Petco. Is the key here the omni-channel capabilities? And can you explain maybe, I guess you talked about Chewy's model, but can you explain why they're not profitable? Is it that marketing spend? Is it the big discounts they're giving? Or is it really just they don't have the physical stores that give them that double advantage, kind of like Petco? So it's a combination of a lot of things. Uh, Chewy really changed the game because they showed that a, a, a consumer wants a DTC pet company. That's why they went public and Ryan Cohen made a bunch of money. You know, he's, then he's out here buying like Bed Bath & Beyond and GameStop and whatnot. But um, the cost associated with doing business with freight, which I'm sure you guys have noticed with a lot of other companies, it's, it's expensive. And it's only going to keep getting expensive. So when you talk about a business that only relies on online retail, like, yeah, I can get it to you super fast, but it's still going to cost me. So shipping a 30 pound dog of dog food is not cheap. And here's the thing, um, at this day and age, you really got to offer free shipping, right? You can, you can, you can incorporate some type of minimum to the price, which is fine, right? You're going to, you're going to hit that when you order dog food, but their minimum price, I believe is $49 and you get free shipping. If I'm ordering you know, a 60 pound dog of, or sorry, 60, $60, um, you know, 30 pound dog, 30 pound food for my dog. Um, I cannot imagine them making too much money on that because now they don't have to pay for shipping and the margins on that are, are decent in, in and of itself. But once you, once you factor in the freight costs and the labor and everything like that, I would be surprised if you're making any money on that. Um, and that's kind of why they incorporate, this is every pet store business at this point. That's why they incorporate the subscribe, subscribe and save options, which is, you know what? Hey, if you're going to order dog food, which we all order, if you just keep it on a regular cadence, A, you never have to worry about ordering it again, but B, you know, we'll give you 5% off every single time you order it just so they can like drive recurring revenue. They don't have to like work for your, they don't have to like execute more on marketing dollars to get me again, because I've already signed up for it. Um, it's very similar to Amazon subscribe and save the more things you, you add onto it, the more you save, whatnot, whatnot. Um, but that's, that's where the problem is. It's really the freight is the problem. So now when you look at a business like Petco, you really don't have to worry about that anymore because if I live a few blocks away from Petco and I can either a buy online and pick up in store. So I physically go and get it. Yes, they take a hit on the margin for the discount that they offer, but they're not spending nearly the amount that they would to ship it. So they're actually that like net net, they're winning. Then you have the option of, okay, well, I can order it online uh, and have it delivered same day. I don't get the discount, but I get the speed. And they don't have to worry about the cost associated with that either, right? Because they're they have a they have a contract with DoorDash and the DoorDash people are the ones that fit the bill for, you know, like the gas that they use to, to ship it, you know, like they're not doing the labor, right? The labor is already baked into it. Um, so they, they save money on that front as well. And then additionally, they have another option where like, I can just go buy it and I can just pull up. I don't even have to enter the store and they'll have an associate come out, load it into my trunk and I'm on my way. So when you're talking about what they can cut to boost margins, they're doing it. 
Um, and they're, and they're, and that's why I'm saying they're giving me so many different options for people who like, imagine being an 80 year old grandmother with a dog, right? They're, they may not be able to go to the store. And if they go to the store, they can't pick up a 30 pound bag of dog food. You know, so they have an option for someone to come out and give it to them, or they can just ship it to you. They can have somebody else, um, ride a bike or a car, depending on where you are and deliver it to you from DoorDash. Like they have so many different things where the option to cut out very costly expenses that the consumer, consumer facing side doesn't see is happening. Um, and that's why they have leverage with their, their rewards where the, yeah, you can do the 5% off or they have like the vital care offering, which I'm a big fan of, um, where you, where it's almost like a no brainer to sign up for because you save so much money as a consumer. If you just do everything in house with Petco, that's something that just Chewy can't offer because they just don't have the capabilities for those product offerings. And they also just, um, they don't have the leverage that the other stores have. And I'm mean, other stores. I mean, Petco and PetSmart. As Petco talked about competing with Amazon, does this, the, the comprehensive offering and the in-store stuff that you just talked about, do you think that gives them just way better capabilities to, I don't know, blunt any consumers going over to Amazon, subscribe and save? Because when I see Amazon versus Chewy, I think this is the same exact product. It is. No, it is. It's oh. the exact same thing. If you want to talk about a real competitor, like, yes, the pure play is Chewy. That's because it's, it's black and white. What they sell overlaps, you know? Um, but if you're talking about like a true, true comparison, like that's, not, that's just online, right? If you're talking about like online and in-store, you're looking at the other stores like Walmart, like Target, like other specialty retailers or grocers that do, they do offer dog uh, uh, pet food and pet, pet products. You might pay a little bit more from them because that's not their bread and butter. But if someone's going to be like, yeah, you know, I'll go to Walmart to buy all my, um, my groceries and whatnot, and I'll pick up a bag of dog food on the, on the way while I'm there. Okay. That's, that's, like, that's like real competition. When it comes to Amazon, no, I mean, I, 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 that's, when, I, when I shorted Chewy, that's actually part of my reason why I shorted Chewy. And like, if you're talking about a pure play online retailer, Amazon's going to eat its lunch. And um, that's what's been happening. Uh, so it's really more, that's who their real competitors are. But if you're looking at a public-facing side, what you see in the market, what you see in the news, Chewy is the one that gets advertised heavily. Um, and sorry, I forgot one point too. What um, Petco also has as leverage, which I know PetSmart does, I just haven't really dove into it, is private label. If you want to expand margins, private label is the way to go. And they have, I think, 10 brands that are private label and exclusive to just Petco. So when you talk about expanding margins, they, they're... they're um, they're offering things where like, if you want Blue Buffalo, get a, get a Petco brand, you pay a little bit less, but they make more money on the side. So that's, that's what else they got going for them. The, the other thing I saw, I was looking at, I, I, I was looking at Chewy this week. I can't really remember why, but they, uh, they talked about on the conference call, how auto ship helps save them costs logistically and, and through shipping because it's easier to automate auto ship orders. There's higher average order value typically, and it just uh, generally saves them money, but they have 70, I think it's 72% of their customers or sales come from auto ship and they still can't generate cash. I can't imagine that like that probably has to be close to its ceiling in terms of percentage of sales coming from auto ship. So at what point do they, do they generate cash? It, it just seems difficult or it seems like supply costs would have to come down. Um, I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even tell you. Cause I think it's the best comparison is what Jim Chano said about DoorDash. If you can't even make money at the peak 
performance of what the market is giving you, then you're just never going to make money. And that's exactly that. Like DoorDash was not making money really at peak performance during COVID when everybody couldn't leave their home. Chewy was, I think they were like profitable for like two quarters. And they they just can't, they can't sustain that because of of just like how their business is built. And if you see, I mean, you see the chart, they're down from their all-time high of what, like 75% down, I think, at this point, because they just I guess the auto ship thing, and this is what investors really have to be wary about. Unless you dive in, that auto ship number looks fantastic. It keeps going up. The average order value keeps going up. But you have to look at what constitutes an auto ship. And I think it's uh I think they base it off of someone who has had a shipment to them while on auto ship in a 12 month period of time. So that number just looks massive because you're you're having such a wide, a super wide time range of what kind of, what counts as that. And the other thing too, they don't tell you is what actually is a part of that auto ship. I can get a $5 bag of dog treats sent to me once every six months. That counts as auto ship. I can get a, a 30 pound bag, a pound bag of dog food every two months and that counts as it. But everybody gets fixated on the latter than the former that they don't realize that it's actually a very big blend between the two, like getting tennis balls, getting toys, like BarkBox, for instance. You get a new, you get a new box of toys every you know, like, um, month, two months, three months, six months, et cetera. Like it, you, like it, it's, it's something that you really have to dive into because if you take it at face value, it's going to burn you. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm surprised uh, you don't have BarkBox on the short trade, but maybe that's a whole different. Uh, I was long on it, man. And boy, was I wrong on that one. All right. The, uh, let's move into the numbers. Let's get some more context here. How are you valuing Petco? Maybe some numbers behind that. And how does it compare to Chewy's? I know you mentioned the revenue numbers, but just I guess Chewy doesn't generate consistent profits, but maybe nope. that's the key here. <laughs> yeah. So the, what my issue was, um, is that it, um, like the market was not giving Petco the credit it deserves. Like it totally revamped its business because of like its focus on retail and how it was its focus on online and how it was leveraging retail to cater to the online world. Um, initially, when it went public, it was like, like twenty. I think it like peaked at like twenty eight dollars a share. It's touched that again, but that was like kind of like a meme squeeze um, back in twenty twenty one. But the the biggest thing that I had with it was you have a specialty retailer who has been consistently beating consensus estimates on the business. Like since it's been public every single time it's beat on top and bottom. It's complete. It's uh, consistently, uh, you know, slammed down any notion of nah, the consumers are not going to pay for this anymore. Like it was all pulled forward. This and that, like, no, it actually wasn't like they've been doing well. They've been taking share. So I was saying one, the market is not giving it the correct multiple that it, it should be given. Uh, it's actually been suppressed. Um, you, I mean, if you can't, I'm not even, not even on a sales basis. And I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanted to focus on the cash flow basis and the, the earnings basis because it actually generates that. So if you're talking about a comparison, I can't even compare it to Chewy because it doesn't make anything. Um, so when you're looking at one, it's expanding margins by doing all the things that I listed previously with you know the shipping costs, the you know, one-stop shop for all your pet needs, et cetera, a basket, uh, increased basket sizing, subscribing, like all that kind of stuff. They're increasing margin while growing top line. So like top line is growing at like seven, 8%, but you're, you're, you're growing EBITDA margin. You're growing EBITDA, sorry, not EBITDA margins at like um, 10 or 11%. That That's going to create margin, right? Like one's growing faster than the other one. And it was at the time when I wrote my 
my research, it was showing, I think, like 12 times, uh, 12 times EBITDA, forward EBITDA, um, which was like a joke, um, considering it was, it was generating um, over $500 million in, in cash flow, so, or hypothetical cash flow. So I was saying, you know what, if you're looking at other retailers that have been under the same kind of transformation, where they were written off as a in-store um, retailer that will never be anything but but they've revamped themselves, then they should be valued at the same at the same because they are doing the exact same thing just in a different industry. So I was looking at other specialty retailers like Home Depot, like Tractor and Supply and Co, where they took what seemed to be an only in-store business and turned it online. You know, like Home Depot is one of the biggest online retailers in the country. Like literally, I don't think I think many people don't realize that. Um, and what they were trading at. So you look at what they were trading at, and I was being conservative with what they were trading at, which is at like 14 and a half times forward, forward estimates. So I'm like, even if you factor in a, um, two and a half turns more of, of, a, of, a, of a forward multiple on their EBITDA, but you're, you're getting additional EBITDA margin going forward, this thing should be trading um, over 25 bucks a share. I think, I think I posted at 26 bucks a share when realistically it should be at like probably 30 if it gets the recognition it deserves. So that's why I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm long this stock because I think it's getting seriously mispriced. I think with all of the damage that has been done with consumer-related stocks this year, with retail-related stocks this year, if you actually look at the chart, if anyone listening in on this would like to see kind of a drop-off what happened, Petco for most of the year was killing it. They were actually not doing bad at all. And then you can see a very precipitous drop in May, I think it was. And that's when Target, like when Walmart, Walmart did it first. Oh. Walmart announced, hey, we're going to get reduced margins. We're screwed. The stock didn't even move. It actually went up on the Walmart news. And the next day when Target came out with theirs, Target's like, oh, we're screwed. Then you see the massive drop that Petco had because they're like, oh, you know what? Petco is a little bit more of an affluent customer base, which aligns better with Target demographics. And they cratered. And you know, I'm talking with my other hedge fund buddy who's who was short the stock, and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense, to me, dude. Like, and he's sitting over here, like, I see the credit card data, I see this, I see that. I'm like, I don't see any of this because I'm actually going to the store. I'm talking to people. This place is popping. They released uh, earnings, I think, a couple of weeks after, a week or two after that, and it rebounded 15%. And I'm like, this is what I mean. This is why the market's so stupid because they, they just punish people on the on the pretenses of what's happening to other people. Um, and the same thing recently happened too. It was recently trading back up again at $17 a share. And now it's down at like 13 um, for no, for no other reason than other retailers have just doing, doing like uh, just utterly crap. Um, it would have been the, the Walmart news that they just announced that they were guiding down. I think I, I didn't read the details on that, but they said that's, more what, that's, margin, right? that's one of that. And it's like, yeah. but the thing is that's been the growing story for the last nine months. But again, time and time again, Petco on even their earnings reports, on their transcripts, they all keep saying, we are not seeing any slowdown. Digital is still going up uh, double digits. We're seeing, you know, like margin, like we might take a hit on price, but the thing is like, we're also raising price. It's, it's, they keep defying the odds, but no one's is giving them the recognition. And if you do a side-by-side of Chewy share price and um, Petco share price, Chewy's has flown since the bottom of June compared to Petco. And I'm like, why? They are like Petco is literally a better overall business, but Chewy is so internet focused that my buddy told me he's like, um, uh, buy the dream, sell the, sell the execution. And I'm like, 
I really hate you for saying that, but that's such a valid point when you're comparing the two right now because Petco is executing amazingly and Chewy is the dream. Chewy is the tech side of things. Like it yields go up, yields go down. It affects Chewy more than it does Petco, but this is getting punished. Do you think that's the only reason why Chewy gets the multiple premium? A thousand percent. A thousand Petco? percent. They have the, yeah. What if, if things go right at Chewy? And I, this kind of leads into our last question, which is like the pre-mortem. What, so I'll, I'll just double the question then. So how, how could you be wrong on the investment, sort of the long Petco short Chewy thesis? And then what kind of margins do you think Chewy could have profit margins if things go right? <laughs> uh, okay. So if we talk about like margins of what Chewy can go right, um, I don't think they're going to be much at all, right? Because if, if they're not even adjusted EBITDA profitable, and again, mind you, adjusted EBITDA is complete, complete crap to begin with. Well, they um, have a lot of depreciation, right? If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> oh, you look at I mean, the SPC. Like like SPC. Just, yeah, and SP, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're not even profitable in that sense, even with adding back all of those things, that, that, <laughs> I don't know how you get, I really don't know how you get there. Um, and it's... Uh, if, if, if we're talking about like realistically, let's just hypothetically say they actually do get there. I think at best, they could probably match up with like a grocery store, right? You're talking like four to 6% margins, um, which for a grocery store makes sense. You're buying produce. When you make talking about the margins on pet, pet products, it should, it should be more than that, you know? Um, that's, that's best case scenario. I don't think it ever gets there. Um, there other, other guys I've spoken with too also don't think it'll get there. Again, you're buying the dream of it getting there. Um, if we're talking about uh, Petco, and, and I forget, sorry, would you say is what could go wrong? Yeah, yeah. how could how could your thesis of, uh, or how could the investment long Petco short Chewy go wrong? Yeah, well, I mean, if if again, if you're looking at the business itself, Petco has a solid business. If you if you have any experience being an operator, Petco has hit the mark on anything and everything that the consumer could want. Could they make it a little bit better? Yeah, of course. But they're making it literally the one-stop shop place for any pet owner for not only the everyday needs, but also the the health and wellness side of things. So it's all-encompassing. And it's making it so that I save money, like the Vital Care offering, which I highly um, recommend people read on my my Substack because it breaks down the unit economics. As a consumer, I save so much money, but... Petco takes more share. So it's hard for me to realize what could go wrong because they seem to be doing everything right. They're just not, they're just getting a golf clap, not even, not even a golf clap. Um, but what could go wrong is like, for instance, like if, if someone just, if there's a big, big recession and people just decide to scrap all their pets and, you know, I just can't afford them anymore, which again, I don't see that happening because I would, I would literally go and switch to rice and beans for my life if it meant I still keep my dog, right? Getting rid of my dog is not an option. Um, uh, that could that could happen. There's no there's no real interest interest rate risk because the debt that they have is actually at a very attractable rate. Like they have they got like 1.7 billion dollars in debt, but they're they're the interest rate that they're paying right now is at like four percent. Like that's not is that's it, not bad. That's totally manageable. Fixed? Sorry, is it fixed? It's, it it is floating, but it's very attractive. It's very attractive okay. floating rates. It's like LIBOR plus like. LIBOR plus 0.75 or LIBOR plus one. It's it's not it's not tough. Um, and they generate the free cash flow to pay for it. So they're not, they're not hemorrhaging anything. 
Um, so there's no there's no interest rate risk. There's no like real consumer risk because they keep they keep blowing that up. If anything, it's a market risk, and that's shown this year by you know it it holding up so well until that target news, and then that target news is kind of sent it spiraling. So can it go lower? Yeah, it just broke its 52 week low today. Um, but I'm thinking in the long term, there's nothing that says to me at this current point in time, granted I'm biased, but I've been right on the other one as well, that this thing should not be trading above $25 a share when the times are back to being good again, when the market's not crazy with volatility. I, I just don't see it. Um, I mean, at this current point in time, like you've got a market cap of $3.8, $3.8 billion, but they're generating $600 million of EBITDA this year. I mean, like do the math on that. And they're growing it at uh, 10%. That's ridiculous, you know. That's just that's just so cheap. Um, so, can I get hit? Yeah, hundred percent, which I have been already. But I don't know. This 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 thing is a winner. I just, I just don't see how it can go wrong unless management just decides to do a complete one eighty, like a blockbuster esque type strategy. But that's not going to happen. Right. There's always management risk. Um, I think one more follow up I have that maybe people would be interested in is do they have the capacity to repurchase shares? Because if we're going to get this huge discount, um, uh, it's always nice and it can help, you know, get back to fair value if you can be really aggressive with it. So, I mean, do they have the ability to? Yes. Does it make sense to do it now? If you look at the share price, you'd, you'd say like, yeah, obviously it's like so depressed, but at the same time, I think because of all the capital, um, like the capital allocation that they're using it for to build out these, these their retail distribution arm, and which like takes a lot of like spend to boost up the technology to facilitate it all, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think having that cash to prove to investors, hey, if shit does hit the fan, you know, we're not going to dilute ourselves by doing some type of equity raise. We're not going to have to like get unattractive uh, rates on debt because you know we need to, you know, we need it for working capital, et cetera. Um, I think them keeping the cash that they have in the bank and them generating the free cash that they do helps mitigate any type of worry that, oh crap, you know, they might need to do another raise or something. Um, if, if it comes to the point where, yeah, you know what, this thing's like trading like close to or below $10, which I really hope it doesn't. I, I, would, I would actually like talk to like to see like Ron or like Brian and be like, Hey man, like you, this is just dumb. You know, it's dumb. Just go ahead and start buying stuff back because this is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. So only if it gets super cheap, but it, uh, with their conservative strategy, maybe that's kind of a two year, two or three years down the line, they'd start returning capital to shareholders. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Cause I mean, you're talking about, if you're talking about the whole revamp that they're doing, switching to online isn't cheap. They got great momentum right now. Why try to focus on something else just to appease shareholders in the short term? Would I love more, would I love more, you know, um, like earnings per my shares, like yeah, but I also know what they're trying to achieve. In order to achieve it, you gotta have to keep that strategy going and how to, and how to fund it properly. All right, I think that is all the questions that we have uh, for any listeners that are hearing you for the first time. Once again, go ahead and check out the Exponential Fitness episode. Another sort of interesting uh, retail—I guess you call it retail—gym uh, business as well. But uh, where can they find you? Where can they, where can they keep up with you? Yeah, you can just follow my um, Twitter at Paul Sarah. Um, it also has my the funds Twitter on that as well, my bio. And then if you actually want to check out the actual the work that you know I post, um, it's just Cedar Grove Capital Substack. You'll find it. It's the first thing that pops up. Um, and subscribe; it's free.
Right. And we should link, we'll probably link the Petco write up in the show notes because I know you referenced it a few times. So, yeah. yeah I mean, even no if you're looking at it right now, if you're interested in a two bagger at minimum, <laughs> go ahead and <laughs> take a look at it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it. We want to remind our listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. So, clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks, Paul, for coming on the show again. We'll see you next time.